Hey, Sean, have you heard about this new Patreon.com thing that's going around? I've heard. I've heard of such a thing. So what it is, if you haven't heard about it... Wait a second. A th- Wait a second. I just said I had heard about it. So that should be the <laughs> end of this conversation. We shouldn't need to talk about... Oh, oh, but there might be other people who need to hear about it. Okay. There might, be, there might be one or two people out there that haven't heard. But if you are producing something, whether it be music, slam poetry or a podcast, you can have people out there be patrons of your produced content and they can, they can help support you. And so we have set up our own Patreon account and uh, website. We do have different tiers. That's kind of standard patreon.com modus operandi. How do you say that? <laughs> just say MO. Yeah, don't, don't try Don't Hey, college boy, why don't you just dial it back? Just say MO. <laughs> So, our first tier, would you like to tell them what our first tier is? Well, yes. If you part ways with a whopping $2 a month, you get a hearty handshake or pat on the back if we're not still shaking hands, if we ever see you at a local grocer. So, this is heavily dependent on you living in one of the cities we live in, but still... I don't think anybody can argue that that's worth $2 a month. $2 a month. I mean, that's half a latte at Starbucks. Yeah. And let me tell you, like, if I do see you at the local grocery store and you, if for some reason you are doubting the heartiness of my handshake, I will prove you wrong. You will be taken aback. You will be telling your friends about the heartiness. You, you will be, you will be writing poems and essays about how hearty my handshake is (laughs) which you might put out there for patreon.com people to support your poems and and songs about uh but yeah i can attest that sean does give hearty handshakes twice i have been the recipient of such a handshake and then a swift punch to the gut as well so (laughs) hopefully he won't do that to you but i'll Go ahead and go to the next tier, which is our Rocky 3. The first one is our Caddyshack 2 tier. It's the lowest of the low, but it's it's still worthy. But Rocky 3 is our next tier, and it is that if you submit $5 a month, that's one latte from Starbucks, you will not only receive a hearty handshake if we see you out in public, but we will also give you a signed copy of our show notes. Now... You are might be doubting, much like you doubted the hardiness of our handshakes, you may be doubting the worth of our signatures on a piece of paper. Listen, if you want to test this on that, throw it on eBay. You know, see if you don't get upwards of $12, $11 or less. If you want a signed copy of our notes, you yeah. can. You may not be able to read them, but you can own those if you were to support us. For five dollars a month, I, I once met actress Sharon Stone, so uh, I'll just leave that there. Uh, what's our third tier? It is Major League, which I assume is a step up from Rocky Three, or uh, <laughs> may, may, maybe depending on who you are. It is eight dollars a month. You get the handshake, you get the signed copy of the show notes, but you also receive a random baseball card again signed <laughs> signed by us. You're going to be swimming in signatures. So let me ask you this. If it's a random baseball card that's worth something, like let's say it's the Dale Murphy reverse negative thing, and we sign it, does the value of that card then plummet immediately? Or We have ruined it. Yeah. Okay. No, we'll we'll send you like a Chili Davis baseball card from 1988. (laughs) 
Perfect. It's the baseball card of our choosing that we will be signing. Okay. So if that's not enough for you and you want to support us by giving us even more money, the next tier is the Hoosiers tier. And that is at $15 per month. If you want to support us, you will not only receive the hearty handshake, and a signed copy of your favorite Airbud episode. Uh, you will also receive a signed baseball card by both of us, and you will have access to a bonus episode that will probably be some sort of Air Buddies episode. <laughs> we we have Air Buddies movies for days. Yeah. And so I guess that leads us to the premium package on the Patreon site, which is it's I'm not going to lie folks, this is expensive. <laughs> $25 a month. Hey, listen. It's it's a lot. It's a pretty penny, but you get the handshake, you get the signed show notes, you get the signed baseball card, you get access to the bonus episode, and we will record an episode of your choice just for you. This is any movie you know, it can't be X-rated or anything like that. Any genre, as long as it's bring it on. But I'm, I'm reading directly from the Patreon <laughs> site. I'm sorry. We would like it to be uh, bring it on. Over and over again. We will do it yeah. as many times as we need to. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously, 25 bucks a month and we will record a podcast just for you. We'll mention you by name. We will ask you how your spouse is doing throughout the uh, episode. It'll get slightly creepy, then it'll get a little <laughs> less creepy. And then by that point, the episode will be over. So I, I don't see why you wouldn't. And that is the the natural. Yeah, the natural. Sorry. We have Caddyshack 2 at $2 per month. Rocky 3 at $5 per month. Major League at $8 per month. That's still a steal. And then Hoosiers at $15 a month. Now that's, you know, that's burning cash. That's lighting cigars with $100 bills kind of cash. And then you have the natural, and that's burning $1,000 bills with, you know, lighting your cigar with with a $1,000 bill. But that's the natural tier. So if you are interested in supporting us in any way, $2 a month will seriously help us out. But we will use it for continuing the production of this podcast. So if you feel so inclined to help support us, please visit patreon.com slash slow pitch. Thanks again. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. Welcome to Slow Pitch, a podcast that takes sports movies too seriously, or perhaps not seriously enough. We're your hosts, Sean Williams and Brad Etherly, two guys who consider watching sports movies a type of aerobic exercise. Today's episode is a review of the 1979 classic, Fast Break. <laughs> and I do mean classic. <laughs> I had never... Okay, I will be honest with you. Before... We uh, said we were going to do this for the podcast. I had never even heard of this movie. Never even heard of it. Which is surprising because yeah. you are a UT whiz kid. You know yeah. all knowledge of all things Vols. And this uh, movie contains one of the best Vols basketball players ever. Maybe the best, yeah. Bernard King. Now, Bernard King was a Tennessee Vols star prior to my being alive for the most part. And it kind of, it, the movie also 
predates him being a really big NBA star. He didn't really start, you know, going off for the Knicks until the eighties. And so this is, uh, this is a little bit before even Bernard King's time, but, but yeah, Gabe Kaplan was certainly at his peak powers when this movie came out. (laughs) Boy, Gabe Kaplan, we'll, we'll have a chance to talk about him in depth soon, but I, I wanted to say that I guess I had seen this movie before, I'm pretty sure that I had seen it, but I had read that Bernard King was in this movie because I read Bill Simmons' Book of Basketball, and he talks about his role in this movie. Um, (laughs) I think his quote is that he was talking to maybe Gabe Kaplan about the movie Bill Simmons was, and he said that Bernard King was on set for 50 days and gave him 48 good days. (laughs) Um, So... Well, but yeah, so this movie is, let's just say, fraught with problems <laughs> in today's 2020 age. Well, I, I, don't, I didn't notice any. <laughs> what are you, talking you didn't? About? No. No. It's, uh, yeah, it is. It is. There's, it's, it's peppered all throughout the movie, but, uh, you know, I, I don't want to skip ahead too far. We're kind of introduced to the movie by, you know, Cotter basically just throwing down some playground basketball in the inner city of New York, just like Nate tiny Archibald used to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and this, this movie starts off with one of my favorite seventies and eighties movies staples, which is you have a theme song right off the bat that is kind of describing (laughs) what, like what's going on or what like kind of the theme of the movie is. I'm trying, it it had a song in it called With You I'm Born Again, but I think the main song that's playing at the very beginning and maybe at the very end is called Go For It. (laughs) In which it's, uh, it's kind of like The Secret of My Success. There's a song in that movie called The Secret of My Success, and it talks about striving in the business world and everything. This is this this uh, song is reminds me of that. It's saying go for it because really what everybody in this movie needs to do is actually go for it. And it was wah wah heavy. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah. slightly wah wah. Yeah, you know we can talk about New York City because I think even though it was it wasn't in the movie for very long, it was a major character. <laughs> yeah, in the movie as well. So this is our second actor, I would say, that after Kevin Bacon and the air up there, that is shown on film playing basketball. And and he, it's brief. It, he only sh- plays in the playground in New York City. He does not really play ever again, uh, even though he is around basketball for the whole movie. But I got to ask you, do you buy him as a basketball player? Um, I'll put it this way. I think if Kevin Bacon took on Mr. Cotter, I, I think Cotter takes him. I think Cotter it's had some skills. <laughs> I think, I think, I think it's close at first, but Cotter's mid range jumper gets him in the end. I, cause I don't buy that Kevin Bacon move from, uh, <laughs> whatever that movie was that we watched, uh, the air up there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Cotter had the classic, like small white guy, kind of hook layup kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's six feet from the basket, <laughs> no. but he kind of hooks it in 
which was impressive, but it looked like he could actually hoop it up a little bit. I didn't think that it was a stand-in for him. Like it was obviously now, for let's, Kevin Bacon. For the listeners, let's not be crazy. He's not Woody Harrelson and White Man Can't Jump. Not that level, but he's definitely better than Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I, I was I was fairly impressed, I'll say that. But then he doesn't really play ever again. But we're introduced to Bernard King's character right from the get-go, right? Yep, yeah. yeah well, Bernard, Bernard is them. from Brooklyn, um, and I think so is Gabe Kaplan. So I don't know. I don't know if that's why Bernard King got cast in this or not. But, you know, those, where they're playing, it, it looks like a part of New York that I think you and I have probably spent some time in. It's kind of near where Jamie Chitty used to live over near Washington square park. That's what it, that's what it looks like to me. But you know, of course I, it's not like I know New York, like the back of my (laughs) hand. And that was also 1979. And it it is possible that New York in 2015 or 2009 looked a little different than New York in 1979. (laughs) Just a little bit. Yeah. So I was looking at the, the cast of characters kind of towards the end of the movie, I got kind of bored. (laughs) So I started looking at the cast of characters and I realized that the opening scene apparently had a very young Lawrence Fishburne in it. Yeah. Cowboy Curtis from Pee Wee's Playhouse was in this. I, I, I didn't even notice it. I'll be honest with you. I did not even notice him until I, the closing credits were rolling and he was the last named credit in the movie. Yeah, I, I didn't even think to look for him. As credited as playing street kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the the premise of this movie is I guess Mr. Cotter is what what is he is he just a basketball nut? I mean, I does he have a job? Well, he's working. Oh, at he's working at the restaurant at the delicatessen. He's like a maitre d at a <laughs> diner. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. He's like, he didn't seem to be, he wasn't a waiter. He wasn't taking money. He was just kind of sitting there. So he reminded me of like a um, ventriloquist puppet just sitting there rattling <laughs> off one liners. I know he's perched like a gargoyle on a stool <laughs> just in front of the pie case. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, Gabe Kaplan was a stand-up comedian, so that was probably just they're like, we'll stick him in a diner, we'll have him tell a few jokes. But he, they established the fact that he's having trouble making ends meet, and his girlfriend, played by Randy Heller, I think is her name, also known as Mrs. Larusso, Lucille Larusso from The Karate Kid. She's none too happy with. Gabe Kaplan's character because he seems kind of aimless and he has this pipe dream of becoming a basketball coach. But well, it seemed like she was just mad at him because he was out playing basketball instead of there for the borscht or whatever they were having for dinner. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? and it's yeah, like that- she she made some kind of a comment like, "Don't you think a man your age should just not be doing that or something like that?" And I was like, "He's just playing ball." I know. Well. Yeah, it's kind of like she just maintained a low level of irritation and sometimes high level of irritation with him throughout the movie. It kind of started with he chose to go play basketball with Bernard King instead of coming to dinner with her, which, I mean, let's be realistic, who would not choose playing (laughs) basketball with Bernard King over having some sort of pot roast with uh, Lucille LaRusso. But yeah, but then it just kind of seems to like snowball into sort of a what are you doing with your life kind of annoyance. Yeah. And I guess in that scene where they're in their 
bedroom and and they're having this fight he i guess he opens up some mail and and it's in in the in the letter it is a job offer from oh man i'm not even going to remember the name of the what was the name of the college <laughs> <laughs> like see okay cadwallader yeah cadwallader let's let's just say this early on in the podcast <laughs> this movie kind of like uh you know, skims over some details. You know, I think there are some plot lines that are sort of hard to follow. There, there are points in the movie where I'm like, what the heck's going on? Why are they even talking about this? And case in point, they sort of say the name of the uh, college, but they don't really drive it home. I think, I think their uniforms eventually say CU on it. Yeah. yeah I just was confused. <laughs> Maybe it's just a joke that it's such a weird name. And maybe they succeeded. I, I kept thinking, why would they give it the name Cadwallader? <laughs> yeah. But maybe that's the joke. And, and you know, here we are. We're laughing at it. So joke's on us, I guess. But, but yeah, so he basically has applied to this university or, or whatever out in Nevada to be their basketball coach. And the president of the university is going to be in New York City and wants to meet with him. And so... Daniel LaRusso's mom goes from being very upset to taking a shower with Mr. Cotter. <laughs> That's how it works, I guess. But anyway, so the next day he is, uh, he's in the delicatessen sitting there giving one liners to four 80 year old Jewish guys. And, and he runs out to go meet with this guy at this fancy hotel. And the whole time I was just watching the background of New York city in the late seventies. And, and there are some other portions of the movie like Bernard King and he are walking through a part of New York city that is just in shambles and, and just like literally buildings falling down parts of the building on the street or the sidewalk to go recruit this other player named DC. But I just kept thinking how much like, I can remember being a kid and seeing any kind of video of New York City in the 70s or even the early 80s and it just rem- that's what that's what I thought of as New York City and and it really is an interesting <laughs> New York City in the 70s is an interesting place man I mean people I think have I think it's been documented that you know when Giuliani kind of cleaned up New York City that New York City kind of lost a lot of its character Mm -hmm. and i don't know that that character was great in the late 70s and early 80s but it did certainly seem to have a little bit more interesting characteristics than it might now it just seems so hipsterish and bland well yeah yeah dave letterman top 10 lists from the 80s they always had Times square jokes in it yeah about uh, what a cesspool that place was the yeah, rats I, of the rats of Times square yeah yeah and, you know i guess we still have pizza rat today but uh <laughs> but, but uh yeah the jokes would fly on, on late night talk shows about how seedy parts of new york city were yeah my mental picture of what New York city was like came mostly from the opening credits of different strokes where <laughs> Willis and Arnold are playing basketball. We need to do a mini podcast on this opening <laughs> credit scene too. They're playing basketball in Harlem, which these kids in Harlem, not great defenders. Uh, if we go back and look at that, uh, the, these kids are literally standing behind Todd Bridges as he lifts Arnold 
six inches off the ground and Arnold throws an over the head pass that somehow goes into the basket, uh, like a straight shot into the basket. Uh, while these kids are all standing in a semicircle behind them, like jumping up and down as though they're defending them. anyway. Yeah. So that's that I was like, Oh, that's what it's like to live in New York city. Hilarious. But yeah. So, so he gets into the uh, hotel and he goes up to the president's, room and here comes the president he's he introduces i forget what gabe kaplan's name is david or something green, Coach yeah, green david or something green, yeah. yeah and so he introduces david green to his wife and this woman i don't know who she was but she was six <laughs> foot four if she was i mean yeah. she was tall she was basically like Conan O'Brien with a Southern accent. And yeah, yeah. The mouth was, <laughs> it was interesting. It was disarming. I, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> people are like hearing like she had, it, it, we're not talking about, she wasn't using foul language. Like that's not, no. it, was just, it was just kind of like she, yeah. I'm pretty sure she had five rows of teeth, um, <laughs> like a shark and you could see each one from, the back molar <laughs> well, okay. as she smiled. So here's, this is the interesting part to me too. She is like, you know, at the very end of the movie, they, it's, they almost set up this movie up like it's a sitcom, you know, with the opening theme song and everything. And then when they're rolling the end credits, they're going back through the cast of characters and like they freeze on them and stuff. And it's like Bernard King is hustler or whatever, <laughs> but she's in it. Like they include her in really the main cast of characters. And she's in this movie for like two scenes. Yeah. And has Maybe like two one minutes. line. Yeah. Yeah. Like Lawrence Fishburne's in this movie more than she is. I have to I have to admit that by the time we got to the end credits, I would I was not paying attention. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was not. I think that I pretty much stopped paying attention by the time they started playing Nevada State. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was out. To, I'm gonna have to carry this thing through some pivotal moments. I was I was done. I couldn't do it anymore. It just was. It just did not, it didn't carry my interest at all. And I usually like the end credits. Like I have no memory of the freeze screen of the characters. I just don't. It may, maybe it didn't freeze, but it definitely went back through and like yeah. showed scenes from the movie, like a sitcom would, but everybody, you heard it here. Brad Etherly blacked out watching this movie <laughs> and yes. cannot remember the last 30 minutes of it. Oh man. It just seemed to go on forever too. <laughs> I was reading like the, the trivia I was looking for, like, so this is one thing that I do and it's kind of dorky and I do. It is under two hours long. Uh, I do admit that, but I like to, and I may have said this in another podcast, but I like to find like actual parts of movies or old TV shows and look on like Google street view for what they look like now. So like if they showed, you know, if they knew where that playground basketball scene was and, and like, there will be places on IMDb that will tell you where parts of these movies were filmed. Like I'll go back and I'll look at to see what it looks like now. I don't know why I do that. I did that like seven times an episode for the Rockford files <laughs> because I loved <laughs> 
I loved it. And I just do it over and over and over again. Um, so I was doing that. I was doing all kinds of stuff. I was not watching the last game of this movie. Well, okay. Well, I, you know, it was only the most important game of uh, C, whatever the cause is called. Cadwallader. Uh, Cadwallader is only the most important game of Cadwallader season and Coach Green season, but whatever. Here's, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but let me ask you this. This is one thing I was wondering. This game was agreed upon through Bernard King hustling the Nevada state coach and pool. Yeah. Which again, this gets back to, I'm watching it. Like I was paying attention to this movie and I was still like, what the heck's happening? (laughs) Because so, okay, let's back up just a little bit. Let's go back to the hotel room in New York where the head of this school is offering Cotter the, the coaching position. Okay, he just don't that. don't let me forget to ask my question about that game and how it originated. Right, right, right. Well, so he offers him sixty dollars a game or sixty dollars a win. I think. Yeah, yeah, sixty dollars a win. You know, which would have been the equivalent of like twenty five hundred dollars for an entire basketball season if he won every single game. Yeah, if he won, <laughs> if he won the national championship. And it was if they beat Nevada State, who was apparently a you know national powerhouse in 1979, according to this movie, even though they play in a junior high gym, (laughs) (laughs) they were a national powerhouse. He said, if you win that game, I will offer you a three-year contract at $33,000 a year or something, which I'm sure in 1979 was good money for Gabe Kaplan, at least. Well, and what he doesn't say is that they don't play each other, that this is not a regularly scheduled yeah. game. Okay. And so that's, so that is something that the movie just kind of skips over, like doesn't quite get to it, Yeah. Because so, so going back to where Bernard King, who the movie establishes is this skilled pool hall hustler, they, they have to hustle the uh, Nevada state's coach to just randomly play CU in the middle of the season? like <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So is this an exhibition game? Or yeah, is this... Yeah, count. <laughs> is this a real game? Not only that, but... So, okay, so let me back up a little bit. So Cotter accepts the job. He understands what's going on. His wife is not going to go with him. She's She's like, this is stupid. There's no way... So she stays in New York and he starts recruiting other players. He's got Hustler with him and he Hustler is Bernard King, by the way. Yeah. Yep. Bernard King's character is Hustler. The first, and I'll get to my other point about this game after a little while, but they decide to go recruit some other players. And the first one they get to is a, I guess he is a preacher for this church, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and I guess he's fresh out of high school and he's the preacher at this church. Yeah. Anyway, this this guy was in real life a guard for UCLA in the late 60s and won two championships with UCLA. Dang. Yeah. That's I was reading that during the last game <laughs> of the movie. But they have some hijinks where somebody starts shooting at him in the <laughs> middle of a church service. Again, I didn't understand like why, like 
Yes. Yeah. And even like throughout, like in the last game, I don't know if you caught this, but in the last game, the big, the big game that they're supposed to win, there is somebody trying to shoot him there. I never knew why. I never knew why someone wanted this man dead. He was shooting preacher or he was trying to shoot preacher. Yep. Yep. Well, I knew that there was someone after DC. (laughs) No, 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 no. DC had a cop after him, but okay. okay, You were you paying attention? Sorry, no, I was not. Were you you paying attention when someone snapped a picture? For some reason, some random fan had a giant nineteen (laughs) forties camera that had had a exploding flashbulb on it, and (laughs) he stands up in the middle of the game to take a picture, and DC thinks someone's shooting him with a gun. And so he hits the deck and I missed that entirely. And I'm sorry. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Preacher hits the deck later. Yeah. Preacher hits. Do you remember that? No. Okay. Yeah. I, I said DC. That was my bad. Later on, somebody's also after DC again. No, no clue why it's the police. The police are, after him for something. And I'm assuming and it's they never, yeah, they never explain what it is, right? Not that I could tell. Now they do establish that DC who just for, a, as a point of reference, he plays Griff on later on in uh, married with children. They do establish that he is into the marijuana. <laughs> he appreciates the wacky backy, but we don't know that that's why he's being arrested. Uh, but yeah, the, so the cops are after DC some random gunman is after preacher and, and then, and then the final game too, they sort of randomly, and again, this probably something that you didn't notice, Brad, they mix in a very strange race relations and use yeah. of the word kind of thing. I did notice that. I did yeah. pay attention to that. And that was crazy too. Okay. <laughs> okay let's, like, Sorry, sorry. I'm I'm excited uh, about how terrible this and weird this movie is. No, and that's fine. I mean, I really don't care if we go back and forth because it is. There are so many questions and so many things to talk about. But let's let's establish how they get. They've got preacher. Then the next person that they are going to get is Swish, and Swish he so Cotter meets. Hustler, Bernard King, at this gym where they're playing like three on three or four on four or something like that. And Bernard King is is like, just watch the one with the ball. And sure enough, every shot she takes or he takes is a swish. I mean, she's he, whatever. It's a girl. <laughs> Her name is Roberta Jones, but she goes by Bobby and she she has she's African American and her hair is short ish but kind of like froed out. And so the whole gimmick is that she, she's a girl. She's not a guy and she can play just as good as the guys. And so Gabe Kaplan doesn't know that until she comes out of the gym on the sidewalk and Bernard King and he are talking and here she comes out in a dress and he's like, Oh, she's a cross dresser. He's a, he's a cross dresser. <laughs> yeah. And Bernard King isn't like, nah, <laughs> he wants to, he wants to get a piece of that action throughout the whole movie. But anyway, so they have recruited now hustler preacher and swish. And then the last player that they're going to recruit is DC. And so this is where they're kind of walking through 
you know, this bombed out building in Queens or something like that. And they go into this building that is just about to literally fall in on itself. And I just kept thinking, this is probably like a Starbucks now. (laughs) (laughs) Probably some high, high rent hipster place in, in Brooklyn or something like that. But, but DC, yeah, you told me that it was Griff from Married with Children. And I, I liked Married with Children growing up. I watched it, but I never, I guess I never paid attention to who Griff was. So I was like, who is Griff? And then he showed up on screen and I was like, oh, he's the guy that works with Al at the shoe store. Yep. But this <laughs> Much guy. Much skinnier here. Yeah. yeah um, Harold Sylvester, I think is his real name. He played basketball at Tulane. And was like a great yeah. player for them. Yeah. So yeah. so kudos to Fast Break for getting actual basketball players who could also act to some degree. Yeah. So we'll say, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I, I will also say this. This is just sort of a random point. Like, so they have Harold Sylvester, who is basketball turn basketball player turned actor. And then Preacher was a basketball player turned actor. You have Bernard King, who was a current basketball player in the mm-hmm. NBA, who had a pretty good turnaround jumper. Um, he he could he could score from mid range in. I think there were a, a total throughout the entire season that they play. I think Bernard <laughs> King doesn't dunk the ball like twice. <laughs> <laughs> like every shot he takes is a one drop step dunk it so his shooting percentage had to have been like in the high 80s at least well and he would play this give and take (laughs) game with swish i think for the most part yeah where they had i tried to follow what he was doing with the ball and he might as well have been a harlem globetrotter yeah i couldn't follow the ball when he was doing his little tricks here's, here's the play and no coach in their conference could figure it out and i don't know why Bernard King goes to the high post around the free throw line. Swish throws him the ball. He takes it around his waist once and then throws it back to her as she cuts the basket and Swish scores. Uh, Every once in a while, he may take it around his back and then take one drop step and dunk it himself. (laughs) Those are the two options on that play. Yeah, I got... I got uh, confused trying to keep up with the ball. I, I'll admit, I was not. You're too busy googling other I stuff. I was. I was. I was more interested in who was doing what off the screen than who was doing what on the screen. Well, I was. I was trying to figure out Gabe Kaplan's chops as a coach. Like, what's he drawing up? Because the stuff that he's uh, shouting from the sidelines. <laughs> left a little to be desired. Like, (laughs) you know, it'd be in the heat of a game and here's what he's yelling out. All right. Execution. Execution. (laughs) Intensity. (laughs) There was one time and it was like one of the first games, but they showed a cut of him standing on the sideline and he didn't say a word. They just showed him standing up, looking at things and not even saying anything. Yeah. They got it. This happened a little bit in glory road too screenwriters you got to give these coaches some coachy things to say other than just sort of generic generic things like intensity (laughs) execution (laughs) yes thank you coach we know you want us to execute this play we will try (laughs) 
Oh, man, that's so funny. Well, so anyways, he's got four players, and they take off in a station wagon from New York to Nevada with yeah, with which, somebody's feet hanging out the back of the station wagon. No, it's like they're, they're trying. There's so many movie tropes that they are just trying to shoehorn into uh, this one hour and a half long movie. It, you got a little bit of bosom buddies going on. With, yep. with Swish, you know, having to cross dress to fit in as a basketball player. Uh, you have the cross country road trip happening. Uh, you have the sports underdog story happening. It's quite a crowded bin there of movie tropes. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you this mid episode. I'm waiting to, f- we've got, you know, I think this is our eighth or ninth episode and we've got another 200 or so. Uh, and then, yeah, exactly. Get ready, folks. Whether you like it or not, we're going to do all 250 movies. Yes, at least until we get to Digstown. And <laughs> but I am just waiting for the one sports movie that does not play the the hapless schmuck who is the underdog who becomes something. And every one that I've kind of looked at, you know, it's like Major League and Rocky and. Karate Kid, like it's it's just the same well, story over and over and yeah, over again. Yeah. Rocky Rocky set the blueprint, yeah. and for like at least fifteen years after that, most I would say ninety five percent of sports movies just said, "Oh, hey, here's this template for success. We're going to follow it." You know, you know, you have outliers. Chariots of Fire was a different kind of sports movie. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's 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 always. Like you said, hapless loser. They struggle at first. There's some sort of training montage and then success in the big game. Back to the story. So they're they're driving along the United States in this station wagon. And at one point, this cop shows up behind him. Well, first, they show about five minutes of all these guys smoking weed. <laughs> yeah. just over and over like like literally one joint would go out they'd light up another one and let's let's talk about that for a second bernard king was an active nba player yes. at the time now that just kind of shows you the state of the nba in 1979 pre magic and bird kind of lifting it to another level because like if you had steph curry in a movie today smoking pot i I don't think i think he would go over so well no wouldn't work yeah and we do know that bernard king had some issues with substance later on in his in his career yeah but he was totally rocking that silk shirt in that scene did you (laughs) notice that yes i think he had some of his nba money in that shirt right there yeah so they they're smoking these joints everybody but cotter and swish who's in the front seat and they show this cop from like five miles away <laughs> um, get behind him. And Cotter's like, oh, no, oh, no. How much weed do you have? And DC shows a bag. It looks like a piece of cotton candy in this yeah. bag. <laughs> yeah. And he's like a pound. <laughs> and they, they all start trying to eat it. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I don't know. Like someone may have to fill me in. Is that like a typical hide weed from the cops tip? 
technique is you eat it as fast as you can, or is that just a sight gag made up by this movie? It had to be a sight gag because it was so much weed. And they were like <laughs> literally just putting grass in their mouth. Like, yeah. And it goes on, it goes on way too long. It's like, yeah. they are, I think the writers of this movie thought the sight of these five people stuffing marijuana in their mouth would be a lot more hilarious. And it was not, it was not, but Cotter pulls the car over and is expected to get busted. And then the cop drives right past him. And of course, laughs ensue or not. Uh, But then they finally get to Cadwallader university and it's, it literally is made out of like the sheds in my backyard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, what are we trying to show here? I mean, that it's a small backwater college. Okay. But you could have done a little bit better job. Yeah. The school, the school's a massive dump. They have a, yeah, the, the dorm rooms are kind of dumpy. Here's another movie trope that they work in. The, Dean's assistant. You have the Dean who's kind of the, I'm calling him the Dean. He's president of school who, when he met with Mr. Cotter back at the hotel room, he did the power move of, I'm going to make you a proposition. And as I'm laying it out to you, I'm going to go over to this liquor cart and make myself a brandy (laughs) while I lay, lay this plan out to you. His assistant is like this nerdy bespectacled kid, which you see that in movies all the time. So, Um, uh, there was one thing I did love about that kid, though, um, and it really wasn't about the kid, but it was the first time we saw him. Mr. Cotter and his crew show up to the university, and that assistant is with the president, and he's like, hey, they're here. And they're like in the president's quarters or whatever. I don't know. But I did kind of laugh at this one scene where the president was like, put on some black music <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. and he turns on like some it's 1930s like Nat, Duke Ellington like, or something. Yeah. It's like Nat King Cole. Or something. Yeah. I kind of yeah. thought that was funny, but the, the gym, they walk into the gym and literally like r- the rims are hanging, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're busted and they're hanging, pointing down towards the floor. And you're just like, what is going on? But somehow they fix the gym so that it's, you know, capable of, of having practice and, and having games in sort of, because did you like the very first game they play? I don't know if you noticed this, but, and again, this is something that they don't do a good job of explaining, but okay. They, they do have the gym is fixed, but there's no scoreboard. They keep score like you would (laughs) in an intramural game. And it's like, I don't know for those of you who are, unfamiliar with uh, intramural sports or maybe you played during your gym class in high school there's like this little apparatus that has these like <laughs> number tiles that you flip over and to show the score it's like it's like a little triangle apparatus and you flip numbers from one side to the other and that is how they are keeping score in what i assume is a uh, I get, it couldn't be a division one school it's got to be a division two but uh, still this is a college program that is eventually going to play Nevada state who has is recognized as one of the best teams in the country. Um, and they don't even have a scoreboard. Yeah. That just reminded me of something that we'll get to later. Okay. So they, they kind of get the gym ready for practice and play. And so their first practice, you know, these guys swish hustler, 
preacher and and DC are just kind of showboating out there and and they do have other players on the team. They're of course they're all white. Yeah. And and they and I guess one of them does look exactly like Ron Burgundy, by the way. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Oh man. Uh like whenever you folks watch this movie, there there's a guy he doesn't have any speaking, no no lines in the movie whatsoever. But they will cut to him. He is approximately forty three years old. <laughs> And full mustache looks just like Will Ferrell in Anchorman. It's amazing. That's, that's funny. I may have to. No, I won't rewatch it just for that. <laughs> I couldn't take my eyes off of the character Sam Newton, who tackles Preacher at one point, and I think does something to Hustler as well. And this guy, his character name is Sam Newton. I think he ends up getting the nickname bull is a football player, but the the university doesn't have football. So he's trying out for basketball, his shorts. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I would, I would be more critical of his shorts. I mean, he's, it's basically, he's wearing whitey tighties link (laughs) shorts. And I would be more critical of them. If the coach who are coaching his team we're not wearing equally short jorts uh, <laughs> to coach this team. <laughs> the guy is wearing Daisy Dukes uh, in a Raglan t-shirt to coach this college team. Yeah, I, uh, I was, I was going to use jorts as our rating system. <laughs> okay, but I've got right. something else after oh, okay. after you talking about the the scoreboard. I've got something else that we're going to use <laughs> as a okay. rating system. But Gabe Kaplan in in short jorts <laughs> is not something I ever want to see again, and it is a constant throughout this movie. Yeah, yeah, he loves those jorts, <laughs> and I like. Was the term jorts even around in 1979, like to be, to be judged, like, or did, I don't think so. Practical measure. I can remember wearing jorts in high school. Yeah. And we just called them jean shorts. Yeah. I think they were bugle boy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, just to be clear, Gabe Kaplan is, he's not wearing jorts that he bought at a JCPenney or something. He, these are clearly jeans that have been cut off. Yeah. And so, you know, Daisy Dukes. Now, I, I am looking at a picture of Bull. And again, I'm sort of getting ahead of myself here, but it's Bull carrying Mr. Cotter off the court um, on his shoulders at the end of the game. Yeah. And if you want to get a good idea of just how short <laughs> bull's shorts are look at him in this bus. it's it is unbelievable just the amount of hugging that is going on <laughs> listen it left nothing to the imagination yeah <laughs> in that first scene i couldn't believe it and and this is an era where basketball shorts are short but not skin tight in this short i mean it was yeah so much worse than yeah. any John Stockton shorts I've ever seen. <laughs> but anyway, so as a basketball team does, they grow together as a team and they are blowing all of their opponents out just left and right. It's, you know, by 40 points or whatever. Of course, they have one game where they're not focused and Cotter has to rip them a new one and that halftime meeting and 
and they were all acting like they've never heard a coach chew somebody out before. And I was like, good grief, man. In high school, I got worse chewed. I got chewed out worse than that. But anyway, so they get through all that and they, they invite Nevada State's coach over to watch them play a game. And that's where Gabe Kaplan and he are, are playing pool. Bernard King comes in and starts hustling him. And he owes him something like $5,500 or whatever. And Gabe Kaplan is like, listen, just agree to play us <laughs> in two weeks. It's the middle of the season. We're probably a Division three school. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but just play us, and we'll right. we'll consider it even, and and they do, and so and he also says play us in two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. Like, uh, I mean, I, can, I can't imagine like Rick Barnes at Tennessee just forcing Bill Self to like, hey, you know, we're going to show up in Lawrence, Kansas, and you're going to play us in two weeks. Well, forget about Kansas. I can't imagine. Like somebody saying, let's say University of Central Arkansas goes to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you play us in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And because the coach owes $5,000. Yeah. He'll be like, oh, anything you say. I, know. Yeah. I think so, the school yeah. would just pay it. So that happens. And now, Sean, you're yeah. going to have to take it over because I can interject in some, there are some parts that, that I might. We'll flip roles. I'll interject while you kind of lead. Well, for, did we did we cover the thing that you wanted to cover about the uh, the? That's what it was. Was just okay. the, just that like this was like probably an NAIA school, and they're yeah. they're like in the middle of the season. They are wanting to to have this game against a top ten Division one program. Yeah, uh, and it just it it doesn't it didn't add up to me. Okay, so. We've established that Mr. Cotter, Gabe Kaplan, Coach Green, whatever we want to call him, he needs to win this game so that he can get a three-year contract. That'll provide his life some more stability. They've established that perhaps this stability could get him back with his girlfriend, who's still in New York, Daniel LaRusso's mom. This would be a boost for the players especially the ones who have come from tough situations in New York. I understand all of that. However, they, there are probably three situations in this final game scene that I have a ton of trouble understanding. As we've said before, one, there is a hitman after preacher. They don't really, like, yes, someone tried to shoot him in the church earlier, but then an hour and a half of the movie happens and they don't reference it at all. And then now it's this big, important game, and all of a sudden there is a gunman trying to kill this college kid who's playing basketball. And again, we don't know why. We have no idea why he wants to kill him. We just know he wants to kill him. Secondly, Griff from Married with Children, who plays, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on the name. DC. Uh, DC, yeah. DC, Griff from Married with Children. He is wanted by the police. Again, why? No clue. No clue why the police want him, but we know that they're there at this game and they are trying to arrest him as he's trying to play. As he's trying to play. To complicate things even further, DC and Swish have become attracted to each other. Yeah, we uh, we skipped that problematic scene. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So DC this is before the big game. He decides I'm gonna quit the team because I'm pretty sure I'm gay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he he is going to get on a bus and leave because they all they all think that Squish is gay. Yeah, they think yeah, he's a guy who's gay. Yeah, which if you've been on a basketball team, uh, there's just no way that that secret is kept. But anyway, so he is convinced that there's something wrong with him, and he needs to get on a bus and head back to New York. Coach Green, Gabe Kaplan, runs him down and says, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. Swish is a is a girl. He's suddenly relieved. They're making out within the next two hours. Uh, not not, not uh, Gabe Kaplan and uh, DC, but Swish. And that DC. would be a I twist. I know. And obviously, this scene would not fly in a million years in 2020. But in 1979... No problem. Keep moving. <laughs> just don't worry about it. Just laugh. Uh, yeah, just laugh and keep going. So, it, so yeah, that that sets up a scene where the nerdy dean's assistant walks in to the locker room before the game, and <laughs> DC and Swish are making out. So he's like, "Oh no!" Like these two basketball <laughs> players are making out, and. So they're playing the game. They establish that it's it's a tough battle, and what's it? Bull gets in early foul trouble, and so they have to bring in these guys who don't play very much, and we don't know their names. It's these. Well, I do know one of their names oh. because they call him by his name. So at the very first practice, Gabe Kaplan gets one of these white guys that actually attends Cadwallader to basically harass preacher. And Preacher, you know, he gets in his head and Preacher takes a shot at this guy. His name is Hollis. Oh, uh, yeah. And then... Punch at him, yeah. Yeah. So then, in the we don't really hear of him again until halftime of the big game. And Gabe Kaplan is basically like, hey, we need you to step up again. We need you to get in this guy's head. And, it, and I thought, this is sad because this guy, he's he's getting some screen time. But he doesn't even have a single speaking line. All he does is give a thumbs up. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thumbs up. But yeah, so it's Hollis and, and he's given the task of doing the dirty work. Yes. And so we find out, like, once again, he kind of pulls a Bill Lambeer and, uh, you, you know, gets under one of Nevada State's players, one of their best players, Skin. Nevada State player punches him right in the face. And it's revealed that the reason that the Nevada State player punches him in the face mm. is because he called him an N-word. Or called his, called mom, his mom the yeah, N-word. Yeah, sorry. He dropped an he not dropped an N-bomb. And so the movie this is one of the reasons that this movie is so strange. It hasn't really thoroughly dealt with anything racial for the first hour and twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have this kid dropping an N-bomb and, you know, at at first I thought he was going to drop the N-bomb and Gabe Kaplan was going to be like, hey, what are you doing? Like, get out of here with that, you know, and they'd almost like laugh it off or something. It's 1979 and whatever. But Bernard King finds out that the kid did that, assumes that the coach told him to do that and gets upset with it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is this is a veering into some heavy racial territory. But then the coach just is like, hey, sorry, I I shouldn't have uh, I shouldn't have told him to do that or whatever. I think he said 
part of the game. Oh, he did? Yeah. When they were walking him off, because his nose was all bloody, it was him and, and Hustler. And, you know, Hustler's like looking at him like, what the heck just happened? Because what happens is in the game, I thought I missed something. Because all of a sudden, you know that, that Hollis is supposed to get under his skin. But you don't actually see him, like, do anything to him. And all of a sudden, the Nevada State guy just roundhouses him into in the in the face. And I was like, what? what in the world? And then it's revealed after they pick him up and walk him off the court that he called his mom the N-word. And Bernard King is giving uh, Gabe Kaplan the look. Yeah. And Gabe Kaplan kind of sheepishly is like, hey, <laughs> I'm part of the game. Okay. But then yeah, later that's... on, later on, he apologizes. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So there is a, after the end bomb is dropped and the, and the kid says it again, like he's going to, the, oh no, a different, they're putting in a different kid. And he's like, Hey, who should I call a yeah. you know, N word? And he's like, don't call anybody a N word. So yeah. you know, the end bombs being dropped like crazy in this game. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a tense five minutes where, Bernard King is upset with coach. Coach apologizes. All good. Like all, water all under the forgiven. bridge. We don't, we don't address it ever again. But yet, so it's just, it's just points to the randomness of this movie that they kind of throw in this really heavy racial wrench just in the, out of the middle of nowhere. Within when we're the last already, 10 minutes. You know, we're already dealing with a hitman and <laughs> a, you know, the cops busting DC we have a cross-dressing uh, basketball player whose identity has not been revealed yet. It's just, it's too much. It's well, too much. And she, she comes, she like takes a timeout or something like that and runs off the court and then comes back onto the court. She had, you know, had a bandages, I guess, wrapped around uh, her chest to flatten the, her chest. Yeah, it's just, I did Google this. Was the sports bra invented before 1979? <laughs> because I feel like, oh, okay, let's back up real quick. She doesn't take a, any old timeout. It's a timeout, I feel like, with, is that right before the final shot? I mean, it was close to the very end. Yeah. So it's a timeout. There's like four seconds or maybe eight seconds to go. Uh, obviously, CU is down by one. They have the ball. She runs into the locker room and nobody on the team other than DC and Gabe Kaplan know that she's female. Well, Hustler knew. And Hustler, yeah, Hustler. And then next thing you know, she comes running out <laughs> and it's... it is. She is not wearing a sports bra. <laughs> she's not wearing any... Any bra. <laughs> it's just, she's she's free boobing it. She's free boobing uh, <laughs> She's letting it all hang out. Yeah, yeah. And which was just massively disturbing. So I did Google, like, was the sports bra invented? And it was. It was invented like three years prior. So she needed it. Maybe it hadn't caught on yet. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Maybe it was like each, uh, it was early on in the development. So it's kind of like Tesla's uh, (laughs) sports bra was like $500. Yes. Well, and she comes back to the huddle and I don't know if, was it Preacher who just automatically like started to reach <laughs> yeah. for them yeah. with yeah. both hands? Yeah. <laughs> 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 we, 
we told you that this movie is quite problematic. Uh, yes. So the quote unquote preacher immediately uh, tries to reach for her. I think his quote was, are those real? As he was reaching for them. Yeah. Yeah. Mid game and like in an intense (laughs) point in the game, they're down by one with eight seconds to go. Yeah. So not paying a whole lot of attention to this final game. I, I was paying just enough attention to just be completely thoroughly confused by all the, you know, at one point DC like says he hurts his ankle and he goes to the locker room and then like goes outside and like does the sleeper hold on somebody. That's the guy who was trying to kill Preacher. Okay. I, if they had just slightly sped up this whole game, and put yakety sacks to it. It could have been a Benny Hill episode, I feel like, because I, it was just so much, so so many people running here and there, outside, inside. Well, yeah. It, guns yeah, being pulled. I know. Yeah. People DC. in the back seat of cars. I, was there somebody in the back seat of a car? Yes. <laughs> yes. It was the guy trying to kill, trying to kill Preacher, I think. But oh. yeah. So yeah, DC just. He fakes an injury, puts on his street clothes, and is going to leave. <laughs> and I don't even know. Oh, yeah, it's because the cops were there. It's because the cops were there. And, yeah, he sees the guy who's trying to kill Preacher. Again, no clue why he's trying to kill Preacher. Puts him in a sleeper hold, then decides, <laughs> eh, I think I'll go back to the game. Puts his uniform and shoes and everything back on, and then goes out and finishes the game. And so I know that Cadwallader wins, but... Is there even like a uh, like a final play, like a drawn up play, or somebody shoots Brad? The- you <laughs> have you have to go back and watch this. I mean, because it is one of the most ridiculous. Okay, let's go back to Kevin Bacon's ridiculous move in the air up there that was sp- supposed to be this indefensible move, but a three year old could steal the ball from him doing that. They give the final shot to Swish. You know, so she is driving the length of the court with eight seconds boobs everywhere because (laughs) she refuses refuses to wear a sports bra that's been around for three years. (laughs) At that point, I would have just left the ACE bandage wrapping on because it seems like what you, what if she ends up blocking her own shot? (laughs) Blocking her own shot and cost them the game. It did seem to be an impediment. Yeah. So, yeah. So she, like, she's dribbling down the court and doing these spin moves. And these in more ways than one. Yeah. Right. These, these defenders are like not trying to just like tap the ball away, which they easily could because it's not like she has Allen Iverson esque handles. They are like diving for the ball and like going past her. And she's doing these like really broad spin moves where the ball is just out where anybody could steal it. She ends up pulling up about the elbow, hitting the game-winning shot, and then the players carry Gabe Kaplan off at the end. The head of the school is happy. Gabe, oh, and I should also mention that uh, Daniel LaRusso's mom came back and like showed up at the game during the game, and so we assume that they're back together as well. I think maybe there might have been one more scene after that where they talk about how they're going to get married or something so yeah and then there's another scene where dc has some sort of deal with the cops that you know it's his first offense they don't ever say what it is but it's like (laughs) it's your first offense and it was just a misdemeanor so you'll just have to pay like a hundred dollar (laughs) fine yeah yeah 
<laughs> so all that was yeah. All of that was for for nothing. And then they <laughs> never wrap up the guy outside with the gun, do they? I guess he's just sleeping well, off the sleeper <laughs> hold. Yeah, I guess Gr- Griff scared him off. I guess. I mean, unless the cops got him too. I don't know. Like this movie's so confusing. It's uh, like I was I was paying intense inten- attention to it and. I still had no clue what was going on. Yeah, it was it was not uh, the finest. So another movie came out in 1979, another basketball movie with another NBA star, and that was The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. So mm. I'm excited to see that. I didn't realize that they were both done at the same time. Well, and also there's another movie called Fast Break that is came out a year before this that was a... It was a documentary of the 1977 Portland Trailblazers team. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, 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 the only way that I even know it exists is I was looking up the movie poster for this movie and I saw this other <laughs> random one. And yeah, it's uh, it's got, you know, Bill Walton and Big Red. Who, yeah. Whoever else was on that Portland Trailblazers team. But so. Uh, Let's talk about the movie poster. There's two that I saw. One was like a cartoon drawing of Gabe Kaplan. Spinning a basketball. Yeah. yeah. The other one was Gabe Kaplan on his belly Yep. with a ball like in front of him. He's kind of holding on to a ball. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it looks like a white lady in high heels uh, in front of him at just showing her legs and a skirt. Yeah. So... But it, yeah, and it's well in the version I'm looking at, you don't even see the skirt. Her legs okay. just sort of disappear off the um, off the page or whatever. But it it's almost trying to make you think that this is like a Porky's type movie or something. At no point is he is other than I guess the shower he takes with his girlfriend, Mrs. Larusso. So they don't show anything. Yeah, at the very beginning, he is not in this situation at all. Now there is a like a teacher, he has to like convince a, a teacher at some point to let DC retake a test or something. And I think he has to sweet talk her at some point, but at no point is like, this is not a, those two scenes are perhaps the most PG scenes of the whole yeah, movie. Yeah. This it's not, there's nothing like risque or this is not revenge of the nerds. And here's the other thing too. You have the, and this woman is like, it's like her legs are sort of in an A-frame and Gabe Kaplan is like under them. Like he's up to something mischievous down there. I can't tell which is more of a perfect circle, the basketball he's holding or his <laughs> it's um, afro. Yeah, it's afro. Any, either way, but it says starring Gabe Kaplan, fast break. And then it says the, the sort of tagline or whatever says the best guy on the team is a girl. And like, I feel like the whole, Swish being a girl is probably, I don't know, 10% of the movie uh, because they jam so many other things in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I guess, you know, she took the final shot, but you know, it was just, it it was one of 300 random things going on in this movie. Well, two things. They, they really only bring up Swish and and her being a girl when they want to make a gay joke or they want uh, DC to fall in love with her and and you know they have that whole exchange about him maybe being gay uh, but then just having a girlfriend and it being Swish and that's really the only time they really bring it up 
you know, that, that she's not just a regular basketball player. The other thing is, is that I would, con- I, w- I take a little bit of contention with the fact that she's the best player <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Bernard King is obviously otherworldly. In this, yeah. In unless this Bernard movie. King's a girl, then um, <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, Swish. Yeah. The other, the other poster says the, the one with him spinning a basketball and it's kind of like a caricature of him. It says his dream team's got a preacher, a jailbird, a pool shark, a muscle man, and the best guy on the team is a girl. Yeah, I think that's the tagline I've read last week. Yeah. Or last episode. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, I asked you if you bought Mr. Cotter as a as a basketball player. Did you buy Bernard King as a as an actor? He I you know, listen, factor in my Tennessee bias, but he I thought he was pretty good, you know? I mean, considering yeah. what he was asked to do, I thought he was believable as a pool player <laughs> and you know for the lines he had to deliver I, I know playing a basketball player from uh new york city was not a huge stretch for him but thought he did pretty well you know i thought that he really had most of his acting in the in the new york scenes where they were walking around new york trying to recruit the other players and there was one scene that i thought he and it was a simple scene but it was still pretty funny mm-hmm. and a very i feel like gabe kaplan was you know rodney Dangerfielding it almost out there in a way just being i mean like every every line had to be a joke and i even wrote down that one time he's like in his in his dorm room or apartment or whatever and he's reading a book and someone comes into his room uh, but knocks on the door first and even the way he said enter had to be kind of like this gag because he was kind of like enter. <laughs> enter. <laughs> i was like good grief gabe just yeah. just calm it down a notch but there was one kind of subtle laugh that i got where they went to go see swish and i don't remember what they were saying but gabe kaplan was saying something to bernard king as they were sitting in the stands and bernard king just kind of gave him a deadpan, you know, kind of what are you talking about coach look that lasted for a good, I mean, it seemed like it was a good minute, but it was probably about right. 10 seconds, but it it, <laughs> it it resonated with me as like, not only just funny, but you know, I thought he did a pretty good job as well. So I, I could buy Bernie as an actor. I think he did have an acting role on a Miami vice episode as he well. Did. Yeah. yeah so I don't know if he did any more than that, but I thought he did a pretty good job for, for being a basketball player. All right. Well, let's go to our ratings. So there, like I said, I was going to go to the jorts because they were so prominent, <laughs> but they kind of just, you know, they were never mentioned or anything like that, but it was, it was like they were a character of their own. But did you, when you started talking about the scoreboard, the flip scoreboard, did you see in the second game, the, the scorekeeper was this fat white kid? <laughs> <laughs> no, I missed that. It was a fat white kid. And it was like they did this on purpose because it was very deliberate. But, you know, back in the day, even like when I was playing high school basketball, we would have these like athletic sport bottles full of water that would kind of like, you know, squirt in your mouth. Um, yeah. So you could get a drink without putting your nasty mouth all over it, I guess. Right. And <laughs> the scorekeeper flips Cadwallader's score two points and then 
very slowly and like I said, very deliberately takes one of those sport bottles like he's on the team and just squeezes it into his mouth. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it I'm gonna ask you one out of five, how many sport water bottles would you give this? <laughs> well, considering I was mostly confused throughout the uh, hour and 45 minutes of this movie, it, you know, I was entertained by the fact that Bernard King was in it. Like that was cool. I'd never seen it before, but it was just so confusing and haphazard and yeah, just so hard to follow. I'm going to say, I'm going to say two, two really? out of five. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I can't do that. <laughs> that's that this movie too. was horrible <laughs> I, that too is mostly bernard king yeah just watching him dunk yeah it was horrible i'll give it a half a half a water bottle sport water <laughs> bottle because it was like i said not only just fraught with all kinds of problematic themes throughout but it i mean i did not find gabe kaplan funny maybe you know, maybe if it had been Don Rickles in that part, I would have. Well, thought it you was know funnier. what? You know what I what I thought this movie would work way better if I mean it had to. It would probably would have had to have been ten years later. But if you have Billy Crystal in yeah. the Gabe Kaplan role, this movie probably gets ten times funnier. Yeah, if Billy Crystal's involved in 1989, you probably have a little bit more attention paid to the script writing and everything. And yeah, it's true. Anyway. Yeah. I just, I mean, he, there were some funnier lines that he had, but it was just the machine gun style that he had, where it was just one liner after one liner after one liner and, and just s- smart, just kind of a smart answer for everything. It, it just left me not laughing at him, but there were some f- some funny moments and hey, listen when she came running out of that uh, locker room <laughs> to shoot that last shot with no bra on that was funny you were laughing unintentionally huh? <laughs> yeah it was unintentional but i was laughing yeah so it just you know it was fun to watch bernard king of course he was uh a vol before i really could use the bathroom without having a <laughs> diaper on but but it was fun watching him have a pretty prominent role in a movie of course you know, the basketball scenes were fun to watch, but I could not give this uh, even a full sport water bottle. <laughs> Can't do it. Yeah. Enough. So having done that, this has almost become my favorite part of the, of the whole episode is figuring out which movie we're going to watch next. Mm. And um, I'm not going to ask you uh, what movie you would like to watch unless you want to, if you want to say, I, I think that, there's so many that are good and some that are really bad. And we could just keep saying the same ones over and over until we, until we watch Digstown. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to go for it. We're going to go one through 199. And it comes up 139. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is good. This is, this is our first movie that is a sequel. Okay. Oh, no. That is, Karate Kid 3. No, 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 no. Much worse. (laughs) Speaking of Jewish comedians, speaking of Jewish comedians that give one liners right after another. So this one is Caddyshack 2. Have you seen this? (laughs) Yes, I have. (laughs) It is 
horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like the highlight of it is a, I think a horse farts at one point. And that's like, that's like the high point in the movie. That's the best part of the movie. <laughs> I haven't, I watched this movie. I, I mean, I don't know what year it came out, but I was maybe like a freshman in high school and I have not seen it th- since then. But that is the only scene that I remember and the only scene I remember laughing at. Um, yeah. So, but this brings up a good, a good conversation point. So this is Caddyshack 2. We have several sequels throughout the um, the list, you know, like Major League 2 and Major League 3, uh, all of the Airbud sequels he's right so should we forget about watching caddyshack 2 and watch caddyshack first yeah that's a good question and Uh, then maybe the next episode could be caddyshack 2 we just do them in succession or we just keep caddyshack 2 in the mix and watch it at another time or do we hold true to the random number generator i like there's uh, i'll be honest with you there's something i like about the random number generator you like you take the take the good you take the bad you take caddyshack two and there you have the facts of life all right there there it is uh we'll watch caddyshack two next time and, um you know we'll just pray for caddyshack one. Yes. this way we're getting it out of the way yeah we i yeah we got to cleanse our palate after caddyshack two because it is horrible <laughs> But I'll I'll enjoy watching it for the horribleness of it as a 44-year-old and not a 14-year-old. Yeah. It came out in 1988. Yeah, good grief. Jackie Mason. Yep. Gosh. Okay. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, oh, one other thing. Yeah, um, we still don't have – we haven't released these yet. But obviously, if you're listening to this, we have. And so I did want to bring up the new – Twitter handle. It is now at Slow Pitch Cast. Slow Pitch Podcast was taken, so we went with at Slow Pitch Cast. So that's if you want to get in touch with us. This is what I would challenge anybody who's listening to do. If you have the capability to do this, please take the last game of Fast Break where they're playing Nevada State and speed it up and put it to Yakety Sacks for me and, <laughs> and let us see that because I think that that would be hilarious. But having said all that, once again, we just want to thank you for listening to Slow Pitch. All right.